HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio, and I'm your host here on Heritage Radio Network. And today we're proud to be sponsored by Edwards of Surrey, Virginia. The Edwards family has joined Heritage Foods USA and Newman Berkshire Farm to develop an all-natural product line featuring Suriano hams, Berkshire smoked slice and slab bacon, and Berkshire smoked sausage links. These new products are produced exclusively from purebred, six-spotted Berkshire pigs, raised completely outdoors on independent family farms. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. For more information about Edwards & Sons, visit www.edwardsvaham.com. Today on A Taste of the Past, we are going to talk about bread. And my guest today is Jim Leahy, the founder and owner of Sullivan Street Bakery and Company Pizza and Restaurant. Welcome, Jim. Well, thank you for having me on your show, Linda. You are welcome. And not only that, but he has just written a new book because Jim, you know, say, why do we have a bread guy on a culinary history program? It's because Jim is... uh, has revolutionized bread baking as we know it. So he's making history. He has made history. In fact, pretty soon when I Google bread or on Wikipedia or whatever, I, I expect to see your name. No I've, need bread. I've achieved genre status. <laughs> right, right. I am now, I now have a whole genre of books. That's it. That no need bread. Well, what Jim has done is he has, and, and you, Jim, I'm, you will tell us about it, but for our audience, it's the no need breath method of bread. But, but before, I like breathed. Breathed, a breathed of bread, because it's a breath of fresh breathed air. Breathed of med. Yes. So tell me, you, I mean, you didn't start out as a baker. What? How did you? How did you start making bread? Well, um, I, I was uh, uh, had just traveled, uh, returned from Italy after a pure, unsuccessful stint at trying to live there, with uh, the fantasy of being an expat, and. Um, here I thought you were planning to be a great sculptor. Well, sculptor. no, I was. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was actually, uh, you know, the first generation uh, Williamsburg artist, uh, pre-slacker hipster uh, folk. Um, back when there were maybe when there were no restaurants in Williamsburg, 
Um, and really there were none except for like Peter Luger's and maybe Teddy's bar, if you could consider that a restaurant, um, burger joint. And, um, and uh, you know, and one very well-known bar called The Ship's Mast, uh, which is no longer in existence, but anyone who who's lived in Williamsburg for a long time would know it. So you went to Italy and what Went happened? to Italy and uh, you fell in love with the food culture and food and agriculture. And uh, I think, you know, it's that whole thing of being young and having an open mind and um, just being fascinated by pe- the culture of wanting to do it well. Um, and that would go for things like salumi, dried meats, or prosciutto, uh, or bread baking, or cheese making. And all these things interested me, except that the one that was the most accessible in terms of being able to actually do it, in terms of maybe access, was bread baking. And I started baking as a hobby. Once I, Upon returning from Italy... After an eight-month uh, time there, eight-month uh, stint, I like saying stint, eight-month period, um, ending with a, you know a, a thirty-two-day harvest of grapes, um, just to make enough money to buy a plane ticket to get back to New York, um, I started baking bread out of a, out of a garage on North Eighth Street um, by the river. And uh, became obsessed uh, between jobs. I think back then it was like between 92 and 93. And I believe I counted 37 jobs in one year. And <laughs> Baking bread at night. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I basically stay up to like 4 in the morning baking bread, get up at 7, do my job, get fired or quit. Come back. Pay the rent. Enough, pay, enough well, to pay the rent. Oh yeah, right. basically, barely, barely. But uh, but it was it was a really cool period because whenever I'd make bread, I'd make lots of it in my rigged, crappy, um, very very low end but brand new GE oven gas oven that I bought, and I would bring the bread around and share it with people and give it away. And then eventually, I started doing outdoor street markets um, back when. There were just starting to happen in the early 90s, so they weren't so regulated, and you could actually sell food mm. on the DL. Uh, coincidentally, the first place I sold my bread was on the corner of Houston and Sullivan Street. And it, uh, like, fortuitously later, I ended up finding the location on Sullivan Street where the Sullivan Street Bakery was originally and that's where, located. That's where the the big money started. Was well, not yeah, right well, away, but yeah, well, you know, yeah, Sullivan Street Bakery. Yeah, I would say yeah, big money is uh, you know in quotation marks. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean there is no. Um, I mean back then, I think you know you could sell a pound of bread. This is back in 1994 for about two dollars and seventy cents a pound. Today. 2010, you can sell a pound of bread for approximately two dollars and twenty-five cents. Oh boy! Now back in back in two. Wait, 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 wait. Now why? Now why do you think? No, tell me why you think that is. Well, well, when 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 there was only one energy company, I think it was called Con Edison. <laughs> um, my gas rates and my electric rates were really low. And then, I guess, because of antitrust issues, the government came in and felt like 
these 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 uh, monopolies uh, were 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 unfairly charging uh, people, um, and then it became deregulated. And for a brief period in time, it was good. I mean, I remember back. What in- you said, but you said you could sell a loaf of bread for two seventy five and ninety four, and now only two twenty five. Yeah. Well, what happened was back then. Um, People the, the, won't pay. Well, there were the, the 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 standard was established. The, the price standard for this quote unquote, and I, I I hate the word artisan, but we'll use it anyway. Artisan bread. Um, this the price standard back then was determined by a couple of bakeries. One of which was a, a company called Rock Hill. Mm-hmm. They're still around. Yeah, but it's not. It's a mere uh, shadow of its former greatness. It really just has a bunch of products that by name are the products that they once made and a very talented baker named Michael London who uh, still runs a bakery up in Greenwich, New York called Mrs. London's if anyone is up upstate New York near Saratoga pastry 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 and yeah, yeah but, but he's still me, and and he kind of set the standard and that was kind of like the the beginning of this sort of artisan bread movement you could say tomcat when it was a 5000 square foot bakery made great bread bread alone when it was a very small hands on bakery made phenomenal bread at that time um i had just gotten back from italy and was kind of bread crazy and filled with you know kind of lust and enthusiasm and oh but that's what bread baking is nar- all about isn't it narcissistic <laughs> narcissistic self obsession and and the belief that i could accomplish or do anything which you know in reality you when you when you grow a little older you realize that these these this kind of sense of you know whatever uh you know there are limitations to everything um but you know there is that period in our li- that beautiful period in our lives from like 13 to like our mid-20s when we're horrifically narcissistic and we're the center of the universe. And then when we grow up, we realize that we're not. <laughs> but what's interesting is that during that period, that's that's when you can really develop your skills um, because you can obsess on it. And I developed some weird baking skills. I had a thing for it. I liked fermentation. I liked to understand the process of fermentation and the transformative nature of um, microorganisms upon flour and water, you know, and well, uh, and you and you mastered it and did very well, and obviously people loved the bread and kept coming back for more. Yeah, and what better place to learn than Italy? I mean, yeah. it's they're they're yeah, bread I, obsessed. Yeah, I would say I was inspired by Italian baking, and I definitely went to as many bakeries as humanly possible that made great bread. And my objective at that point, because I I was so young, was just to find the best bread. I wasn't really seeking out a particular process or way of doing it. I was more obsessed with the product, the Mm -hmm. end result. And then, you know, in in being there, I was just learning my Italian and trying to figure out what was the process behind the product as opposed to just going to any bakery to learn bread. And I kind of, at that point, also became a bit of a snob when it came to the quality of the end result or the quality of the finished product. Um, And I think that that, to a certain degree, guided me. And then when I came back, obviously there were a lot of artisan bakeries opened up. I got my first, I think, 36th, 36th job of my 37 working at Amy's Bread, 
Um, and I got the job not through my resume or my, because I probably wouldn't have gotten hired had I told her I had 36, 35 jobs before working there in a year. But I got the job by baking some loaves of bread and bringing them to her and saying, this is what I can do, hire me. And so she was you, nice you, enough to hire me. So the baker impressed the baker. And that was... Yeah, that was and, then, and then that didn't last too long because there was a, a person there that didn't like me and I wasn't, I was, you know, like, you know, some 20-year-old punk and I just didn't really feel like... Well, you had to do your own thing and didn't you feel did. like did, We just didn't feel like kissing ass. <laughs> so I left and then ended up working at a restaurant named Orso baking bread because the owner of that restaurant, a gentleman named Joe, Joe Allen. Joe Allen of Broadway, of Broadway, Broadway restaurant fame. fame. Exactly. Yes. Um, he actually, actually it wasn't really him as much as his daughter and son and the chef at the time were interested in opening up a, um, or hiring Michael London in particular to be a consultant to open up a bakery down in Miami. And there I knocked on the door as like, you know, you know, actually it was a caterer that actually pointed me to Orso that was a client of, uh, of Amy's and I went there and, and I went a couple nights uh, four in the morning made some bread in their pizza ovens and they were impressed enough to hire me well I'm going to fast forward through that because then eventually you, you got your job and you got your job at Amy's and left Amy's went to Orso and I went to Orso did and they sent there and then, and then I was there for maybe two or three months and then I ended up leaving um, to go to Italy and studied bread baking on my own because I was just so obsessed with it and it really wasn't like that much of a, of a job there I didn't really have that much to do at, at that restaurant and then uh, ended up coming back and um, to New York and um, began to try to open up my own bakery without any money by finding a bakery that had equipment that I liked but didn't have either a lot of bread to bake or, or, or had empty, like free time, downtime. And uh, I probably went to a dozen or so bakeries in Brooklyn and Queens. Um, it was also kind of an eye-opening experience into the wonderful world of uh, of an industry with absolutely no self-esteem or dignity or respect, and then settled into a bakery that was on Lorimer Street, William, mm. Williamsburg, um, that at the time was named Bruno Bakery and owned by two brothers and uh, baked my bread. Like, I'd get there at 2 in the morning and start baking my bread at 3.34. But was it your bread, your recipe? Or yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I would, no, their, their stuff was, uh, at the time, it was... Uh, the kind of bread that we associate with like 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 Italian delis or bodegas or supermarkets where you have that sort of really kind of pale, soft Yeah. Mushy. Well don't forget, I mean there was there was technological advance in the sixties that, that sped up that fermentation oh, time so they oh, could no, 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 that was, roll that, them out. That was in that the, in the thirties and the forties, Linda. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. That all that <laughs> stuff happened. You know, in Baker's time or in brewer's time, because I really do think that they're completely the ana- analogous uh practices um there's 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 ap and pp <laughs> and ap stand oh no no, no wait there's BP, the bp bp before pastor and yeah. after pastor right, right. and everything changed when the strain of yeast responsible for alcoholic fermentation was isolated and then was able to be reproduced and separated from the lactobacilli that generally accompany natural leavening and, and sped up the process. Well, we're, well, well, sped up the process, but it also, I think, dumbed it down horrifically and has left us, in terms of a society, 
uh, with uh, uh, standards that are, in my opinion, abysmally non-existent. Yeah. Well, then you went on to revolutionize the process yourself, and after we take a short break, we're going to talk about that. Taste of the Past with Jim Leahy, baker, master baker, shall oh, we say? I hate the term master, <laughs> master baker. baker. Master baking is Don't, something we're you not do. Go there, okay. No, master baking is something. I'm a bread chef. Okay, bread chef. I'm a bread chef. I'm a dough whisperer, but I'm not a master baker. Master baking, you know, who the hell would want to become a baker if or become good at it if that's if that's your title? I'm a master baker. Okay. Oh, great, you know. I, well, I, I, Master sh- baking is something you do by yourself. Yeah, well, alone. that's why I said we're not going to go there. Well, um, I I want to share something. <laughs> I want to share something with our listeners. So I, you know, I read I teach, in your I, book. Listen, I teach bread classes. Okay. And, and a lot of times in these bread classes, you have these people who have weird kind of sick and almost perverted obsessions with stu- with touching wet, gooey, sticky blobs. It and feels that's why like a baby's butt. It feels wonderful. It, 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 it could. It could feel like. It could feel like other form of vis- vis- viscous substances as well. But you know, a lot of those folk, I, I try to break them of their of their master baking, and, and 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 turn it into something functional and 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 adjust the relationship to the object so that it's a healthy relationship. Good. Well, that's where I want to go. I want to go. I want to go to a healthy a healthy discussion make, here on on no make, meat bread. You made make, my life, okay? You make, changed my life. Make bread bake, don't master bake. Okay. <laughs> on that note, but you did uh, bread baking, you know, well I lived in Italy for a long Although time. Although master too. baking could be fun sometimes. After living in Italy and eating the best bread, of I, my life, I used to say the breast best the breast, breast the breast. The breast bed. I used to call myself the breast bed bed breaker in the world. I couldn't find it to save my soul back here in the city, and I have to tell you, you know, then I started eating your Pugliese years later, many years later. Terranova Bakery they made a pretty good casareccia, yeah. But and even still, there was something I wasn't getting. It wasn't I was missing? And I tried your revolutionary new process, the no need method. It was the absolute best loaf of bread I ever ate. Well, thank you. 
And I, you have changed my life. I mean, because needing, you never know. Is it too much? Is it too little? Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? You took the guesswork out of it. It was wonderful. Explain to us what this no-need method is. Well, back when baking, the, being that there's a, 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 a scarcity of written history on bread baking, and most of it was, most of the knowledge and technique for baking was passed down orally from word of mouth, father to son, daughter to mother, blah, 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 mother to daughter. Uh, I'm assuming, of course, because there is no real written record of history, that um, that the process of making bread was essentially a non-needing process because the amount of work, the amount of people required to uh, uh, sow, cultivate, sow, grow, harvest, winnow, and mill wheat was so large that if on top of that you needed another 30 people, say, Stand there and knead to, that to dough. The dough. Yeah. There's no way that the, the idea of of leaven bread or baking would have kind of traveled the, the the known world, the extent of the known world, or the process of of alcoholic fermentation. Alcoholic fermentation occurs in nature naturally. Mm-hmm. If a fruit reaches Stunned, maturity, yeah. yeasts, uh, which are the most primitive, uh, and bacteria, which are the most primitive life forms on Earth. I mean, on the evolutionary chain, they're they are like living to a certain degree, like living fossils, um, would begin to attack the fruit when it reached a certain degree of maturity, or if the fruit became damaged by uh, hail or or some uh, force of nature or a bird or whatever, and then the fruit would rot on the on the tree or a rod on the ground. Usually the ground. Drunk monkeys. Drunk monkeys. And then, you know, the other thing is that, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in the way in which bread was uh, allegedly or supposedly discovered, it was uh, the first, uh, there's a, a concept called the gen center, which is used in linguistics, and it has to do with the largest variety of kind of sounds to, or, 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 or parts of a language. Um, say, for example... Um, there are parts of the world where there are many tongues spoken in close proximity to one another, and those areas are referred to as gen centers because they're looked, they're viewed upon by linguists as places where languages were born or made. And the same is true for wheat in in southern uh, Egypt and Ethiopia, that there are an enormously large variety of wild strains of yeast. Well, I'm not yeast of, of of wheats, but there are actually ancient forms of wheats, mm-hmm. wheats like emmer, wheat, um, what we would call spelt or farrow. Um, you know, they're, they're, the, they're not types of wheat that yield a lot. And um, and so, you know, assuming that we were, we were hunters and gatherers for a couple hundred thousand years or a hundred thousand years, according to evolutionary evolutionary biologists, we probably would grind uh, some things that were difficult to eat, probably when our teeth fell out of our head at a certain mm-hmm. point in our life, uh, or maybe just as an issue of, of a way of actually being able to, I mean, you know, the origins of cooking are, are extremely, I mean, there's no written history of obviously how cooking started. But I'd say something like bread, which is extremely ritualistic in the way that it's perceived, in the way that it's, uh, in the way that you actually cook, it's probably one of that and roasting meat are probably the two oldest culinary rituals 
that exist. Or well, we say when we're going to sit down and share a meal with someone, we say, "Come break bread with me." Yeah, but that and might that might mean more of a, a religious connotation. Uh, probably, or, or, and then then the religious connotation usually is associated with some um, remnant of a of, of a, another historical precedent in terms of like the Romans and their. I mean, you know, the Greeks were the were the civilization in Mediterranean Europe who supposedly took bread bread making to an art form. Yeah, because any bread before that you might not want to eat. It would be a very hard paste that was sort of baked, like Mesop- in Mesopotamia. It would have been a archaeological it wasn't, digs. Wasn't, yeah, archaeological leavened. Yeah, archaeological digs have revealed you know grain pies uh, of various type or grain cakes of various type baked in ash. Um, but I would say modern baking as we know it today, um, or let's say ancient baking, or the kind of baking or the standard that I'm trying to put forth, is actually something that's kind of old. Well, we have, and in large part, as you mentioned earlier, we have the Beer Drinker Society to thank for that because they would take the foam from the top of the beer and add that to the bread to add those bubbles, and they know that it was yeast and they were leavening their breads. Yeah. I mean, that's... That we we thank them for that the brewers used. Yeah. Um, so you, but getting back to your revolutionary process, I mean, everyone. I mean, you ask anyone about bread, and they they picture, you know, the the grandmother in the oven with the oven, the kitchen with the apron on, and the oven steaming and standing there kneading and kneading, kneading away. And you decided, as you started to tell us, that this was probably not went, what went on back. You, well, your inspiration, the, well, you said just, you went back to ancient times. Yeah, so. well, just look at, you know, if you, you know in, the word boulanger means to make balls. It just has nothing to do with bread hmm. because a boule is a ball. A boulanger is someone who makes balls, and it kind of figures that when you have a wet, gooey, sticky blob that, that is, uh, has its self-cohesive, it's, um, you know, it, it basically each blob is, is a contiguous mass. Um, and if you cut it into smaller blobs, then you have to do something with it to manage it. And so you make it into a ball. And because it has a certain, uh, you could say, tinsel strength or elasticity or, uh, uh, or strength to it, you could manage them better by making them in balls, meaning that you didn't have plastic Cambro tubs. You didn't have, maybe you had some, some very very poorly made cloth or you had wood most in most cases it's going to be wood and you would take the blob form it into a, a, a very quickly into a, a a loose ball let it sit onto a shelf let it begin to come up while you began to do something else and then well, i think what people began to recognize is that through the process of taking the blob breaking it down to smaller blobs and then allowing those blobs to rest that it improved, and this is also a standard convention of bread baking. It improved the volume and the texture of the blob mm-hmm. of the of the fin- of the of the resulting loaf of bread. And in there is almost like a sign or a um, a, a key to something that took place before the invention of the mechanical kneader, uh, mixing machine, or kneading. Although probably uh, we've realized that through working the dough that we could probably a long time ago that we could speed up the process. Mm -hmm. I just think that for the sake of feeding many people, um, if you have to put all that physical energy into transforming the dough into a cohesive blob, when it will do it all on its own naturally, why not just let it occur naturally? And I think where people choke, right, 
where they choke. They choke in two places. They choke when they need, right? Or they they dumb it down and make it really stiff so that they can, right. they, they have something that they can handle. Either over need or under need. Well, yeah. You know. Or or they choke when they're about to shape it or touch it, and and that choking, we'll call it like hesitation, or kind of a weird revulsion towards gooey, wet, sticky things has more, in my opinion, to do with socially appropriate behavior. You know, only the denizens and the lowlifes and the misfits, I'm sorry, I'm sure I'm going to offend someone by saying this, of the world make pizza, make bread, make cheese, <laughs> make salumi, butcher meat. I'm saying this is, this is true. And Ed Levine, who, who's a dear friend and an amazing writer, wrote a really beautiful article in 1994-96 about the butcher, the baker, <laughs> and, and how the self-esteem of people in these industries is so abysmally low that who the F would want to even go near it unless it becomes fashion. Unless it, unless all of a sudden, so we've attached a butcher, artisanal. No, to yes, the, to well, it, yeah. Right? Well, that's that. That's all. That's bullshit marketing. But we all need you. We wouldn't survive if we didn't have the butcher no, and the you, baker. You and don't. The, and you don't. You can make if you don't practice. If you can't practice, Linda, a, a, an incredible standard at home, and do it in an easy way, then these so-called artisan or craft bakeries or bakers, and I would even. I would even I would even indict a company like Panera. It's just bullshit bread. It's not real bread. Anyone can make better bread than Panera. I mean, anyone can make better pizza at home than Pizza Hut. And it, it isn't hard. But for whatever reason, we are indoctrinated at a very early age, I'll call it brainwashed, into a culture of convenience and not a culture of quality. Well, and, most uh, and, people don't even know what real bread tastes like until um, they, you know, you know again, find an, an I, I, ar- I, I, so-called artisan baker. Well, or I, or I, 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 I'll take it another level. I really do believe we know good stuff from bad stuff, and it's and and you feel it when you eat it, and you taste it, and you perceive it. Uh, but but if your entire life is, you know, as as was mine, was McDonald's up until the age of like fourteen or fifteen or seventeen or whatever, until I went. Until I went away, until I went to college, maybe eighteen years old. You don't know until you're exposed to these other things. And you know, I think on one level, you know, there's been sort of a there's a there's a movement afoot. Uh, what I what I've been calling the democratization of of good food. However, with democratization, you also have a lowering of standards in general. But right now, there's a mania, feeding frenzy, if you will, on all things culinary yeah well but you and and then that's a good thing it's not, i don't think that's oh a, no no no, no. it's a great thing we need we need to we need to play catch up as a culture and as yes. a society yes replace convenience with quality, with quality and start demanding it and also realize what what the price is well that's just it i was talking with um jake dixon last week and we we're talking about you know americans have to get more comfortable spending more on their weekly market basket for quality you know, pay a little more for the good yeah, well, stuff. Well, it's, it's called it's called self-esteem, but but well. but our but our market-driven, advertised-driven media. You know, it's like you know, you can watch a Top Chef show or one of these culinary competition programs or 
the next top chef or master chef, and all of a sudden there'll be a Domino's commercial, or there'll be you know some food product that's just like abysmally poor, and and it's like you know the ultimate. I mean, at the end of the well, day, it drives it, it yeah. money talks and it drives trouble. Well, what I went listen, we live in a capitalist society, and ultimately we'll all sell out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the to, right for, for the right price. Our our time is running out oh, here. Oh no! And, let's yeah. talk about let's talk about the process. That's what, the most well, important thing. I know, and and we didn't get to talk about the process that much because we are we're out of time. But I want to make sure that I talk about the title of the book so people at home can learn about it. It's called My Bread, which is and, your, which is and, your yes, bread. And to plug the <laughs> book, it it has a lot of innovative and fun recipes and embraces delicious recipes juicing. Using okay. f- using fresh vegetable and fruit juice in, in in your dough. So, for everyone out there listening, ocean you water. Want, if you if you want to know how to bake bread with ocean water, you you do. You give a recipe for how it's, to bake bread with a, ocean it's, water. It is it is it is one of the kinkiest. That is fun. It's one of the kinkiest thrills, At, culinary thrills you'll ever have. You uh, eat you eat the sea. You eat the sea. So Jim Leahy is our. Baker guest today. His book is called My Bread, and he it's all about his rev- he, how he revolutionized the process of bread baking. Became, the no need and, bread and, baking. And how I process. became a genre author. There are like six, by the way, there are six no need books out there now. Are there really? Yeah. Uh, I, I have to say, I'm, I am flattered. Beyond. But, and do they all bake them in in a Dutch oven? I used a no, big old no, no. large I, I, cast iron yeah, yeah, yeah. pot, I, 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 mean, I, it, you know, yeah, and no. it was great. Yeah, most of them. Uh, a lot of them are all about the spray bottle, pizza stone type thing. But that's just like for, I mean, I used to. That's that's pure master baking. But all, all over the years, good, I used good to do things like pizza stones and throw water in the. Oh, on the crust me too. To make me it, too. You know, Ice cubes in a sheet pan, the whole thing, but. This was, but this was perfect. I gotta say, yeah. I did it. It's tried and true. I tried it. I'm, I, too much time went by. I said, oh, I'll yeah. do it anyway. It was the best L- loaf I made. And it even L- less, sang when it came out. Less effort, better result. You know, because at the end of the day, it's about the result, not the effort that you put into it. However, for, for, for you bread enthusiasts out there, um, it is about, Learning and there is a degree of effort, but if you can take some of the effort away uh, and and have result, it's kind of cool. It's kind of like no brainer bread, and you know. Uh, well, it, it was, I th- but it I think, but I think delicious. But I think the 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 brainer is. Well, the, you did the brain work for no, us. No, the brainer is developing technique and being able to shape 150 loaves of bread in an hour. Well, there you or go. Or 200 loaves yeah. of bread in an one hour. One loaf, one loaf that took me three days. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was something. Well, Jim, thanks so much for You're sharing, very sharing your background and your knowledge. And, and I encourage everyone to try this I'm method. I'm sorry to di- digress uh, and talk about uh, my, 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 my anger toward the... Uh, but, but like, well, no, towards bad food. There's yeah, so food. much bad, bad food. food out there. It's hey, sad. Hey, let's make this a vote for good food. Oh, no, we need better food in this country. Well, and this was a taste of the and, past. And, 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 and your bread and, really and, was And a listen, taste. And don't think I'm not grateful to, for the Industrial Revolution. I am. <laughs> Gave us the oven. Too. Well, no, it, it, it <laughs> saved us from famine. There you go. I'm Linda Palaccio, and you've been listening to A Taste of the Past on Heritage Radio Network, and we'd like to thank our sponsor, Edwards of Surrey, Virginia, our producer, Jack Inslee, and our engineer, Nat Wiener, and please join us again. <laughs>